Welcome to another edition of Cloud Insiders. Today I'm joined by Stephen Gibney, Technical Director of Ultimate Technologies, and we're going to be talking about the issues that are facing today's corporate email systems, uh, the reasons why they might not be future-proofed and the impact of, of GDPR uh, on those systems and the, and the data contained with them. Uh, my name's Gavin Jolliffe. I'm the CEO of Extrovert. We're a cloud consulting company who regularly uh, work with companies who are, who are struggling with these sorts of challenges. So, so welcome, Stefan. Thank you. Hello. <laughs> let's, uh, let's kick off. So um, do you want to give us a, a quick overview of, uh, of yourself and Ultimate Technologies? Yes, so um, I'm CTO of Ultimate Technologies. A few years ago, we wrote a software product that it's not very glamorous. It moves emails, but it moves them easily, quickly, and for some of the largest organizations in the world. Governments, Australia government, um, US federal government, big companies uh, with 85,000 mailboxes, all the way down to companies with a couple of hundred seats. Excellent. So it sounds like a, uh, a good tool for migration. What are the, uh, where do you migrate them to? What's the use case for it? Um, so we, we pretty much go from um, any source, so everything from Enterprise Vault to PST files to uh, Xantas EAS, public folders, to a number of destinations. Most of what we do now is moving stuff to the cloud. Um, so Office 365, Mimecast, ev.cloud as examples. And so so customers who are going to say uh, Microsoft uh, Office 365, they're looking to move off-premise. Why, why do they need the tool in order to be able to move their, their data? What are, what are the challenges that, that these companies typically find? So um, for larger organizations, if you just have something like Exchange on-prem and you're moving to Office 365, the native tools are by far the most efficient and you don't really need a third-party product unless you've got older versions of Exchange. So um, to use the native tools, you need um, some of the newer versions. And if you're running Exchange 2007 or something, that there's a whole upgrade cycle you've got to go through on-prem before you can um, use the native tools. Um, in those sorts of instances, it's much easier to use a third-party product. Um, there's other use cases. If you have Enterprise Vault, there's no easy way to get the data out. It's all extremely manual. Um, if you're using Enterprise Vault to archive public folder data, you have to click on every single public folder in EV to go and rehydrate shortcuts. Um, at the moment, we're talking with a company that's got 600,000 plus public folders. And you can imagine <laughs> clicking 600,000 plus times in Enterprise Vault to get the data out is never going to be manual. Yeah, so there's it, the ultimate migrator is the product and it's really about full automation, minimal user input or administrative input, um, reporting, auditing and everything else that goes with it. Excellent. So you're effectively automating a highly labor intensive activity, reducing the risk of error and, and enabling customers to uh, move more seamlessly in a, Absolutely. In a managed way. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, ma manual migrations are error prone. We have a customer where they had um, a brother and sister in the pilot group and they were doing PST to Mimecast um, and decided to try it manually and got the brother and sister the wrong way around. 
in that case it was manageable but you can imagine team conflicts and yeah and like. ending up putting um, the ceo's mail into a disgruntled employee's mailbox yeah there, there's all sorts of ramifications not even considering gdpr and data protection yeah so what is GDPR in relation to uh, email and, and migration and data management these days? So GDPR is a, a very hot topic. It's really extending existing legislation. So we have the Data Protection Act, which covers a lot of what GDPR does. And GDPR really extends it and adds new things to it. Not only does all data have to be secure, there's, there's new requirements around individuals being able to ask companies to provide them with the data that they hold on them. To be able to do that, the data's got to be searchable. So within GDPR, there's regulations about indexing, even filing cabinets and stuff like that, to allow the data to be easily obtainable and individuals have the right to be forgotten. So they can now ask companies to delete all data that they hold about them. Obviously, if you don't know where your data is, you can't provide it to the individual or delete it. Is this a, a new requirement? Is there a legislative requirement to, to achieve all of these, you know, these requirements under GDPR now? Yes, yeah. So that's now part of the GDPR legislation uh, is in addition to the, the general data protection um, regulations where you've got to make sure that the data is secure, um, encrypted, and all of the good stuff that goes with it with looking after people's information. With GDPR, there are some additional factors as well in that the fines are blown out of the water compared to existing legislation. I've got a couple of examples. In 2016, TalkTalk Talk was fined uh, £400,000 by the ICO for failings that led to information being hacked. Under GDPR, that fine could be €20 million. Euros. Um, Barclays was fined £72 million in 2015 by the FCA with the revenue published revenues last year that could be an 840 million pound fine so it's significantly bigger really companies are now taking heed of data protection because the incentive is much much bigger <laughs> I like the way you say incentive um, we, we've known for you know over 20 years now with with mail systems, how archive files and folders you know, can get lost and, and, and held locally and personally by, by individual users. Um, but we've known about this for a very, very long time. Absolutely. Have, have, have companies just simply not, not got over this problem yet? And what do you see in the marketplace? Is this Pe still a problem? Yeah, pe people, companies, usually companies are so busy that things like sorting out data become second priority. And I think GDPR has been a catalyst in some instances now to um, to get people to actually think about the data um, and with the fines that are possible again there's, there's a real kind of incentive to to think more about sorting out historical data do you believe this is that you know gdpr in terms of being a compelling event to require companies now to to, to proactively do something do you believe that's going to drive cloud adoption of solutions like Office 365, uh, and, and if it doesn't, what does the company do? Yeah, so with, with the whole cloud process, uh, getting rid of historical data and moving it to the cloud, 
that, that there's a number of driving forces and GDPR is is one of the major ones. I think cloud adoption for email systems is still relatively in its infancy. The Microsoft marketing machine is is amazing and it's doing a brilliant job of promoting uh, cloud-based email storage. But even so, companies are only just have only just started moving to the cloud. Lots of the providers, so Microsoft, even uh, Veritas, they've now announced that they're not going to carry on developing Enterprise Vault on-prem. So there's other drivers now for moving to the cloud, um, and and bit by bit there's a compelling argument to to get rid of stuff on-prem. Mm. And I mean, for for companies that want to remain on-premise but get get hold and get sight and, and control over those, you know, those those PST files, you know, what do they do? Is there a is there a, a way that they can centralise and, and archive in-house? Yeah. So um, if if you have something like Microsoft Exchange on-prem, you can store the stuff centrally. PST files are an example of. Um, email storage that's not compliant. It's probably one of the biggest um, non-compliancy issues for email. PST files, um, even if you password protect them, you can download tools that will show you the content. A password protected file only sets a flag in the header that prevents it Outlook from opening it. The data that's in there is all still in effectively plain text. PST files on a laptop um, if the laptop gets stolen, it's not encrypted, it's not password protected. You hear lots of uh, high-profile stories where there's, there have been data breaches where a laptop's been stolen and payroll information um, has been become available. More often than not, I would, assume, I would um, suggest that it's uh, Excel spreadsheets that are attachments in emails, PST files, are the place where those emails are stored. They're usually on a laptop or a desktop, so they, you can't search them centrally. So you have issues around GDPR with the right to forget and information requests and stuff like that. You just don't know what's in your in, in these um, files. So Stefan, what are PST files and, and, and how are they relevant to, to email systems? Yeah, so in the olden days, companies had Microsoft Exchange on-prem. Storage was extremely expensive Microsoft solution in 2000 or 2003, whenever Exchange 5 came out, was to have Outlook archive those messages into local storage. Um, and that local storage are PST files. And so these, these files uh, have an extension .pst, and effectively they're a single file that contains all of the archived emails from a, from a single user's mailbox. And, and they have one of them, or can they create many of them? And do they have choice over where they, where they hold these, these files? Yeah, so by default, Outlook will create one archive for you, and that's Outlook out of the box. But you can create as many as you like. We came across one employee that, that I think they had something like 25 of these things, um, and they had them stored on USB sticks that must have been about 10 USB sticks um, that they carted around with them. From a security point of view, I mean, that's shocking. Um, and this is a high-profile high company as one of the directors. So they can create as many as they want. They can manually manage them. They can manually move data into them. And it's really about, um, and this is quite recent as well. This is um, a year or so ago. So while PSDs were 
uh, invented a number of years ago, their use is still widespread. And and this proliferation of a problem and and the the software not you know being able to provide the the governance to to to, to prevent this from some continuing to proliferate, I, I guess means that it's an it's an ongoing challenge for uh, for organisations. Very much so. Yeah. And and in your experience, uh, what does that mean in terms of how much data could be floating around in a company's corporate system without that that's unmanaged? Uh, how big could a PST file be? Um, a PST file can be as big as you want it to be. Um, ideally, they don't want to be bigger than um, two gig, but we've seen them that are 10, 15, 20 gig in size. There are issues around having big PST files because they can become corrupt. Microsoft do not support uh, PST files uh, anywhere other than on the local hard disk. Lots of companies set up profile directories on the final print servers um, and opening them across a, even a LAN connection can cause corrupt corruptions. Um, it degrades, what's the word? It degrades, I think. <laughs> it slows down the network. <laughs> um, we, we worked with a company that had um, moved all of the file and print servers to um, IBM, to the data centers, and were opening them across slow WAN links. The margin for corrupt data was just phenomenal, um, not to mention the speed of access of this stuff. And I presume this creates a challenge when companies are trying to migrate these, this, this data either into a centralised system or into a cloud. Absolutely. We, we recently had um, a customer in the US um, where they had 36,000 PST files spread across five data centres. The majority of them were on file servers, but we ended up scanning every single workstation on a laptop and, and everything else trying to find these things and migrated the whole lot to Office 365 for them. Amazing. So, so how do companies find these these PST files, what, what tools can they use to, to go and search their network to, to So them? Yeah, so for smaller companies, you can just about do it manually. If you've got maybe 20 or 30 employees, you could walk around and go and sit at the desk and go and have a look to see what's on a laptop. There are, obviously, uh, Microsoft have a number of um, scanning tools that will go and find PST files. The issue with a lot of these automated tools is around owner identification. So you need to organize the data and put it somewhere so it's searchable, but also so that the individual who owns that data still has access to it. The, the normal network discovery tools don't have any features around net, uh, user identification or anything else. And it's really only a third party tool that can search the network, open the PSTs up, interrogate the PSTs looking for ownership information what we do is open them up and look at the senders and receivers on each message, count up how many messages there are, and have a percentage probability of who owns that file. You can then combine it with things like the NTFS owner, um, albeit quite often it's the administrator, or if it's on a um, in a profile somewhere, you've got the same account name in the file path. So that there's a number of things you can do to identify ownership, and you can then set rules around those probabilities and, and um, set up a matrix of if you've got a 70% hit on the senders and receivers and it's the NTFS owner, you can safely assume that it's the it's that person. So, so what we're saying today is that 
although there are tools that can help mechanically move data, it doesn't address the, the, the primary challenge, which is the, the, the company needing to understand whose data uh, as well as where it is. And so as part of a, a transformation or resolving a GDPR challenge, you've got to tackle it from both sides of the equation. Absolutely. And this yeah. is something that the Ultimate Technologies is, is addressing as part of its its way of, of resolving this, this GDPR problem in relation Absolutely, to Absolutely, yeah. I mean, there's lots of drivers to get rid of PST files. GDPR is one of them. The widespread use of, uh, of smartphones. I mean, you can't access your email data that's in a PSD file on your smartphone. Yeah, so there's lots of um, benefits to getting rid of PSD files, and really GDPR is one of the the ones that the business now see the benefit because of the potential of being fined. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, and as as well as uh, corporate security and governance and, and all the absolutely. basics that uh, we yeah. should be covering anyway. No, absolutely, and and those sorts of things are very often. Um, not prominent enough for the business until something like GDPR comes along and highlights those risks. Very often the IT team will say, we need to get rid of PSD files. It will cost X amount of thousands of pounds. Um, and the business will say, we don't see the benefit, we're not spending the money. Whereas now with GDPR, we need to spend X thousands of pounds to get rid of PSD files. And if we don't, you can get fined 20 million euros it makes the business uh, think a little bit. So, I mean, in terms of the, the you know the companies moving on to the kind of the the, the solution side of things, if a, if a company was looking to to move its mail systems to you know to Office three six five, let's say, and it knows it's got a uh, you know a problem with PST files, you know, what's the best approach for them? Um, the, the very best approach would be to give us a call. <laughs> <laughs> Good um. plug, I'm loving it. In terms uh, of in terms of a project approach and methodology, how you know, what have you sort of seen, and how have you worked with customers to help them sort of get from A to B? So it very much depends on the size of the company. We did a um, an insurance um, investment company where they had, I think it was about thirty or forty offices, but a, a global organisation. And they decided they wanted floor walkers at the point of migration to help people understand where their data was. That's one end of the scale. Um, at the other end of the scale, they'll just um, have use the software, schedule it at night. Um, we automate the sending out of notification emails, for example. And they were quite happy just to have the users come in in the morning with an email saying, this is where your archive data is. So it really depends on the organisation the IT ability of their employees, how tech savvy they are, um, how much hand-holding they need as to how they run the project. From our point of view, we're happy to license the software as a software license with a couple of days consultancy to help set it up and guide them through the process or we can fully manage the whole shooting match. Absolutely. And and obviously we've worked uh, in, in the past a number of times and, uh, and from, a, from an extrovert point of view, assisting customers on what can be quite a tricky journey if they've never done it before, you know, requires you know, good methodology, good approach, 
good good planning and groundwork yep. because obviously as you're going through that process and as you say with a very large company that process can take potentially many months they're still proliferating the problem as they're going through yeah, that absolutely. so how do you keep them lock stepped and how do you keep the uh, the business from running uh, seamlessly whilst you're going through that process yeah so um, once our software is installed and configured it continually discovers PSD files so we're continually trawling for the data if a PSD gets deleted before we've migrated it, we'll have spotted it and marked it as a potential file that won't be migrated and there's reporting um, built in. But the key thing is that we move the data generally while people are still accessing it. So we, we, we have an Outlook plugin that can be used that will trickle feed the data out of the PSD into the target. Um, or we have other mechanisms where you can uh, migrate at night but the core is um, the, the end user experience to make sure that when they come in they understand where their data is there are products around that will take the PSD the um, user won't have access to it for a week two weeks or whatever till it pops up in OneDrive or somewhere else um, but you've not really solved the issue of the fact that you've got PSD files. No and as soon as the user base understands that it's happening they'll probably start doing sort of preventative measures by moving things back into their mailboxes Absolutely. and causing other knock-on problems, I'm yeah. guessing. Yeah, and users don't like deleting stuff. We, we've seen instances where they've, they've squirreled um, copies of emails and PSTs and, and whatnot away on a share, on a drive somewhere, in, on, on a file server. So really, we, we go and scan everything to make sure we find everything. So effectively, you're providing a project workbench throughout that process so they can monitor and report and, and know exactly where they are at each, each end of the, uh, of, of the transformation. Very much so. Um, the, the, the software works in two phases. The first part is discovery so that you can understand what data you've got. You can do uh, capacity planning. Um, in an ideal world, you'd um, move the PSDs onto your infrastructure. So if you've got Exchange on-prem, Ideally, you'd move the PSDs into the uh, personal archives in Exchange on-prem and then use the native tools to... So get them on the network, get them out of the PCs yeah. and, uh, and get them under, under visibility and control first yeah. and, and then put your, uh, your rinse and repeat cycle to... Uh, to Absolutely. Um, but to be able to do that, obviously, you need capacity planning. Yeah, if you've got 200 terabytes of PSD data and only a 50 gig drive in your Exchange server, it's never going to work. Um, so, so really critical, the planning aspect very here. Very much so. If you don't know how much you've got, then you may not have enough to be able to either manage Correct. it or yeah. deliver it at the other end. Um, and what, once you've planned it, there are things you can then do to mitigate having to spend money on infrastructure internally. For example, you, you might choose to move the, the biggest mailboxes to Office 365 if you're in hybrid mode, push the PSTs for those users into Office 365 directly, so freeing up space locally, and as soon as you've got enough room, you might then choose to move the PSTs for users locally before you move the whole mailbox. So there's all sorts of planning. Techniques and, uh, techniques, and options. Yeah, but it's really understanding what data you've got to begin with. And so once it's in the cloud, is that the problem solved? Does the company then go, I'm GDPR compliant, I'm all good? What does it actually look like in reality? Um, yeah, I mean, very much so. so the main providers, Office 365, Mimecast, EV.cloud, they have reporting tools that allow you to search the data. 
Um, there's, there's all sorts of new startup um, archive solutions. Some of them may not have, um, but I would imagine that the majority do have access to allow you to go and search and delete data. Um, whereas some of the older on-prem archive solutions possibly don't. So it, that the whole GDPR thing isn't really only about PST files, although that's by far the biggest headache for companies. There are smaller on-prem archive solutions as well, even considering backup. If you think about you're backing your PST up, if um, t- technically under GDPR, you should go and find the data in those backups as well if you're keeping it for any length of time. And that brings us to uh, the future. I mean, where do you see the future? Do, do companies have to readdress this proliferation of information? You said you know, they, companies or, or individuals don't like deleting data. Once they've got centralised control of it, what are the, what are the kind of the follow-on, the, the you know, sort of future aspects that companies might want to be, be looking at? Yeah, so as soon as they, it is centralised, you can start um, thinking about retention policies. So if you're in a regulated industry, uh, it's seven or ten years um, you have to retain that data if you're in a non-regulated industry. So there's one of the, the major food companies in the, in the UK. They had no retention policy. They had 15 years worth of PSD data that they moved to Office 365 and have now decided that a six-year retention policy works and have started implementing those sorts of controls within, the, um, within Office 365. From a business point of view, that then frees up storage space locally, backup space. The, the, the cost of maintaining PST files is immense with the amount of storage that you end up using because you end up with multiple copies of these things in back, backups as well. Exactly. So once you've centralised it, it now becomes an, an, a burden to the infrastructure that will grow at a, at a, at a significant rate. And I guess the same applies uh, once it's moved into into the cloud. It's it's then about maintaining and trimming that data uh, within legislative guidelines for your organisation. Yeah, most definitely. Um, and the other things you can then start to think about is whether you want to use third-party products to support your archive data. So Office 365 provides an archive storage space um, and it's unlimited in inverted commas. But it's at the moment, the, the, the charge for that is included in, in the monthly fee. Um, you've got, um, when, when people leave at the moment, uh, inactive mailboxes are free. I suspect the more companies that migrate to uh, Office 365, the more data that goes on there at some point, they're going to start charging for it. There are other archive providers, there's Mimecast, there's a whole raft of new ones popping up as well. So archived email data is becoming commoditized. Once it's all central, you can then start thinking about the cost of storing this stuff. Yeah, so from a business point of view, there's benefit around reducing your overheads. I think Microsoft charges £7 a month per user on average, including their archive data. If their archive data starts to become chargeable, that could significantly increase, you might look to move it to another provider. Once it's there, you have those sorts of options and you can start doing that sort of planning. So that's great. The message here is once you've got it in a controlled environment, uh, then it's really about continuing the 
the ongoing governance and maturing that cycle so that it becomes very much a, a cost management exercise moving forward because you're solving the legislative requirements. Absolutely, yeah. So that's brilliant, Steph. And I, I think that's given us a great walkthrough in terms of the, you know, the challenges around uh, email data uh, inside uh, organisations today, how they're impacted by GDPR, what they can do with it. Uh, and and some of the guidance around uh, how they manage it moving forward. Uh, so thanks very much for your time today, Stephen. Thank you very much for it's inviting been, me. It's been a real pleasure. Likewise. And we'll see you all again soon. So if you'd like to follow up with Stefan and his team about how they might be able to help you to get control of your your email data and and transform it and and protect yourself uh, in this in this GDPR environment, feel free to contact them through ultimatemigrator.com.